Hello, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Banker with a Beer, presented by Northwestern Bank. Scott here across the way is Jerry. Jerry, how's it going? Great afternoon, Scott. It's going well. We're going to have a, another great guest today, and we've got a familiar beverage uh, that I know is making a return visit to Banker with a Beer. Why don't you give us a, a little bit of the, the rundown of what to expect today? Well, the beverage today is a Wisconsin classic. It's Spotted Cow from the Nuglaris Brewery. It's a lager. It's very tasty. It's the, the real issue for anyone who knows uh, Spotted Cow. It's only available for sale in the state of Wisconsin. And I know having lived in uh, in Iowa, people would uh, tra- treat this like gold if somebody came back from Wisconsin and had that in their trunk. And there's also have been lawsuits of firms over in the Twin Cities who tried to who claimed this was on tap and uh, were called on it by the distributors and shut down and fined. So uh, it's definitely they, they hold on to that only in Wisconsin um, tagline. Oh, they've created a great marketing uh, around that, and, and, and scarcity outside of a state can create an outstanding marketing blitz. So we've got a tasty beverage our way, and then why don't you introduce the guest as well? We have a great guest today, uh, a, a real pillar of the Chippewa Valley and certainly of UW-Eau Claire. Uh, Kim Way is joining us today. She's with the UW-Eau Claire Foundation, and she's played just a pivotal role in the growth of the campus and as we were talking a little bit beforehand here the expansion of the campus from being its formal traditional footprint to actually integrating itself into the entire Eau Claire community so we're going to have a great conversation about that today. Well as Jerry uh, pours the the beverages uh, Kim let's bring you on here uh, obviously there's a lot to get to and we'll, we'll touch on a lot of positive developments that are going on both uh, ongoing and right down the pike for the foundation and the university as a whole but why don't you remind everybody the background it, 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 you, 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 you've been in this area now for a, a very long time but at the same time you still came here from other places well actually um, talking about spotted cow reminds me of my roots I'm from Wyoming originally and back when I was growing up uh, Coors beer You could only get Coors in Colorado and Wyoming, and they were very proud of it. And so a lot of my Nebraska relatives would come home and visit um, Wyoming and bring the Coors back. So this is like an old home thing for me. I've been here in Eau Claire since 2001. Uh, My family moved here. We were up at Michigan Tech University. I've worked in higher ed my whole career. Um, Came here to run the first campaign for the university and um, then had the opportunity as time went on to uh, run the foundation, be in charge of the foundation. And then, I don't know, about 10 years ago, um, really got seriously into some real estate out of necessity and opportunity for the university. UW-Eau Claire, as you know, is landlocked. Um, Our campus is pretty much, uh, what you see is what you get. There isn't a whole lot of opportunity to expand the campus boundary as it is with the river, the hill, the historic Third Ward neighborhood, and then Highway 12 up on upper campus and so we really had to start looking creatively about how we can meet the university's needs and hopefully help be a good partner in the community and and things just kind of took off from there well the beverages have been poured and away we go that tastes like spotted cow tastes good. Uh, always <laughs> refreshing always like it well kim let's get started then and i mean we talked a little bit offline here and we'll go forward with this but 
So I graduated from UW-Eau Claire in 1986. And at this point, as we talked before, before, you stepped off Garfield Avenue and you were either on campus and you were off campus. And there was definitely um, uh, a dividing line there. And the integration of the campus and the community just really didn't happen to really any degree whatsoever. But gradually that's changed. And uh, I guess we can start, you, you, all these projects that have happened since uh, roughly around 2000, much of your time arriving to now, have been pretty extraordinary. And I think, you know, I don't know where we want to start with, but I'll probably go from project at time. I'm going to start out with the Haymarket uh, downtown, that in case you really was the first time I think the university took a real jump outside of its footprint and it didn't go next door, it went downtown. How did that come about? Well, so we had a campus master plan that said uh, we have a great shortage of student housing. Um, we also felt like we needed a some type of, of facility to accommodate our arts, you know, what our arts community is in the in, at the university, certainly. We're Wisconsin Singing University, so we needed to have something that reflected the quality of our academic program. And at the same time, our master plan talked about if there was an opportunity to do that, in partnership with the community, we should try to do that. Um, our philosophy has been is why do something that is just exclusively for the university if there's an opportunity that the community could benefit as well. Uh, we like to, you know, draw the circle to include everybody, so to speak. Fortuitously, at about that same time, um, partners with Commonweal Development had the opportunity to uh, purchase the land along uh, the Chippewa River uh, where the Haymarket, where the old farmer's store was and, and that whole area. And they came to us and said, would you like to partner on this? This could be a, a good development for you as well as the community. And we, my board, fortunately, my foundation board, we had just finished purchasing the priory out south of town, the uh, old St. Bede's Monastery. And we needed to do that for um, our child care center because we were tearing down the child care center on campus. And so our board had was willingly to go into that, but kind of with some trepidation. But then we came to him with and said, we want to partner on this. And very blessed. We have a great foundation board. We actually turned around and then created a Blue Gold Real Estate Foundation uh, to, to deal with the, the real estate part of it. But partnership with Commonweal, Marcom, Market and Johnson and Commonweal and Blue Gold Real Estate partnered together, acquired the land. And we knew we needed to do student housing on the one part, but we felt like the other part was an ideal site for the art center. And the rest, as they say, is history. I want, I want to bring this up here. I know still some people get confused by this, and I'm sure you still answer these questions every single day because you're always meeting somebody new. But what exactly is the foundation, Blue Gold Real Estate? Because when people look at whether it's the development at Haymarket or the Sonitag Center, they just think it's, well, it's the university doing it but then they hear kind of as a throw-in well the foundation well explain the connection explain where some of the separation is sure so state universities not only in, Can or in Wisconsin but across the country typically aren't able to in be engaged in private development um, they aren't able to typically um, work to accept private gifts and to work with donors to facilitate all of that kind of opportunity and so foundations were created for state universities. So we have the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire Foundation. And our role has been traditionally to accept dollars for scholarships and programs for the university. Well, as we started to get into looking at the real estate, from a, 
uh, legal separation as well as kind of uh, protect the assets of the foundation, we created, we first created a couple limited liability corporations. But then as it looked like we were really going to be into some uh, real estate activity, we decided to create a separate foundation. It is a supporting organization under the main foundation, but it is a separate 501c3 entity that is specifically chartered to handle real estate uh, for the, the foundation. Uh, because the university has, it, for example, our campus isn't owned by the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. It's the state of Wisconsin asset. So anything that happens with the university is really governed by the state. The foundation is a separate entity, can enter into agreements and buy land and do all of those things that the university can't do. But our whole role is to benefit the University of Wisconsin-Eau Claire. So the foundation is the mothership, so to speak. And we receive private gifts and we do all of those things that a typical foundation would do. And then we have the real estate foundation whose sole purpose is to acquire, manage, develop, and disperse real estate solely for the benefit of the university. So if a project is developed by the foundation, does it then become the property of the university or how does that work? Um, it'll only become the property of the university if um, the university decides, uh, or the state of Wisconsin decides to accept it as a gift from the foundation. Or if we could work out a deal to sell it, but typically mm -hmm. the state wants us to give them that property. So it isn't the property of the university or the state of Wisconsin, it is the property of the foundation. Now there's lots of projects we can go to. I'm going to try to go through these quickly because we could go through a half hour quickly. But maybe I, I jumped ahead of myself with the Haymarket. Priory was probably the big one that started out. Yes. So how does that work now? And what's currently housed at the Priory and what are its longer term plans? So we <coughs> we purchased the, the Priory because um, the university was going to tear down this the campus school to make room for Centennial Hall. And we didn't have room for a ch child care center. They were looking at building one, but then the uh, bids came in really high, and the chancellor at the time said, we have to come up with a different option. And so we talked to the the sisters of St. Bede, St. Benedict's, to ask if we could lease some of their property, and they were getting ready to move, and so they were going to sell it. And we, back and forth, and we ended up buying it. Well, we bought it. We couldn't have any agreement with the state or with the university of any of the use, but then we went to the state, the State Building Commission, and had a proposal for the university to enter into a master lease. And so they leased the St. Priory uh, for 15 years. The first 10 years they were paying rent and operations and maintenance. And then the last five years they were only paying operations and maintenance. We basically bought it. And what we recouped- We in being a, the foundation? The foundation yeah. bought it and we recouped our initial purchase price. And that okay. was basically all we, all we did. And so now we're working with the university on what happens next. They've been out there for 10 years, surprisingly. And so this next few years, we've got to decide, are we going to gift that to the university? They, they have it for uh, Child Care Center, their Children's Nature Academy, which has been wildly successful, and then student housing. So in the area where the, the nuns lived, mm -hmm. have, have been converted. It's the only, at the time, only single occupancy rooms <laughs> for our whole campus. That's how tight we were on student housing. So how many acres are out there? It's hundred, about 110 acres of wooded land. It's a beautiful property. And then the building itself was built in the 60s and it's all brick, all concrete. I mean, it's not gonna go anywhere. At, at this point, any plans to expand or do any improvements out there? Um, it's It has <coughs> some limitations because of it's um, not connected to the city services. So it has a septic system and well, 
Um, so I think the big the big thing is how can <coughs> we expand um, the childcare capability because there's such a need in our community for more childcare facilities. Okay. So then after the purchase of the Priory, then it was Haymarket. Okay. Then was Haymarket, and we were just finishing the Priory when, oh, by the way, I have this. <laughs> my board got, got tired of my phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, we have this opportunity, and they really felt like this was something that was transformative for the university and potentially for the community, and we entered into that agreement. Um, so, so what was compelling about this property as opposed to, I mean, at that point there was still a little bit of undeveloped land on the traditional campus footprint, or you could have renovated additional or uh, some of the existing halls. Why the jump out there and why at that point? Well, I think um, part of it was that our housing on campus is all built in the early 60s and um, the opportunity to renovate them, they are limited in terms of their physical structure for renovation for modern student housing. Um, so we felt like that this was an opportunity to provide a different type of student housing option for our students. And so um, that was what was attractive most of all. The other part of it is that there had been housing developers in the community for quite some time looking to try to do large student housing developments for the size of our campus population and the lack of dense density of student housing uh, out in your community was really non-existent and part of it was there's just no land there was no land available and so for us to be able to acquire that downtown land was really remarkable and we felt that that could be kind of a and certainly the development on the north barstow um, with rcu and all of those was significant to kind of give us an incentive to want to come and, and be a part of that. I know uh, I've toured the facility when it was built, when it was just opened, and given my old dorm rooms on <laughs> Catherine Thomas Hall, I mean, it's like, <laughs> oh my heavens, it, it yeah. was like, like it was leap years ahead. Yeah. Wh which whoever has, there is some very gifted group of students who have, like on the third or fourth floor, fifth floor there, have this balcony view of the confluence. Right. That's got to be the nicest university room in the entire state of Wisconsin. There actually isn't. There's only a couple apartments in there that have kind of a limited view. The rest of it, the views are stellar. I mean, if you get up on the fifth floor, you can see all of the city. Oh, yeah. yeah I mean, it's really a beautiful, beautiful facility. And now in the summertime, we do what we call Snowbird U, which alumni come back to town um, who are who are living elsewhere, but they want to spend a month back here, and they come back and they can rent an apartment at Haymarket for a month, and live at Haymarket Plaza. Shoot, I think back to my sophomore year at the college I went to. I had a brick, I had a view of a brick wall. My sophomore year, lovely spot and a beautiful <laughs> college and all that, but I had a brick wall. Now imagine changing that and having a view of the river or of the theater or of downtown. It sells itself, doesn't it? So with the Hale Market, at that point, was the Pablo even in the works, or where was that, or was that just a, a dream, or was that done independent of, of the Pablo even being on, on the drawing board? No, I actually think that the Arts Center was really uh, kind of on our horizon first. Mm -hmm. uh, we were really looking at, can we do the Arts Center? But then as we started looking at the footprint and everything, we realized that we could also maybe do the Student Housing Mixed Use Project. Uh, we did Haymarket first because it just didn't require all the complicated sources of funding that the Pablo ended up uh, requiring. 
But as you know, it it was it it had its share of a little bit of controversy. Well, in Haymarket, before we move off, I'm assuming it's been 100% occupied pretty much from the day it opened. And again, and what people don't realize is we have to take the risk to do these things without any guarantees from the university or the state. We can't have anything in writing that says if you do this, we'll do that. And so we had to build it on the prayer and the ho and the belief that the university needed housing and that we could work with the university. And so once we built it, then we had to go to the state of Wisconsin. Interestingly enough, the universities can enter into leases for all other property except for residential property. And to, to get those leases, you have to go through the State Building Commission and Department of Administration. Um, and so we, we, had to, we had to go through all of that. We had a multi-year lease um, that the state of Wisconsin is leasing that property on behalf of the university. Um, the university operates it, does everything. Um, and we're still continuing to work with them to continue to have the use agreements, similar to what we have with the apartments on Water Street. Just the, the legal shuffle you must do to get these projects done must be um, challenging. Um, I've, I've employed a lot of attorneys, yeah. <laughs> yes. So after, I'll say, Haymarket, Pablo's been talked about a lot. I maybe you can give us a, 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 a couple minute overview on your role in the Pablo project. Well, <clears throat> we were part of, um, so um, the Blue Gold Real Estate uh, Foundation, along with Marcom, we owned the land that the Pablo was sitting on. And so we had to work with the deal to get the organizational structure organized to actually own and operate Pablo. And then, um, so we sold them the land, but we're still very much involved. And of course, as a fundraiser, was really involved closely with the fundraising. And that was an interesting journey too, because we announced that fundraisers you should never do this where you announce you're going to build something without having a dime in hand but we did rcu we announced we're going to build this beautiful arts facility and we had this really great plan of state city county funding and then philanthropy and i felt like the philanthropy goal that was tolerable was about a 10 million dollar goal my wonderful partner dan klumpner um god rest his soul um raised it to 13 and a half million and i thought oh my god what are you doing to me we ended up raising around 35 to $39 million in private funds to support the project. I mean, uh, a testament to the hard spirit of this community and the fact that there were, you know, a c critical mass of people who really believed in this project and were willing to put their financial resources. It was, to me, a real game changer for how this community looked at philanthropy and could do big projects. You know, the, the challenge that I saw that really when the model was put together, I know originally the state was was going to, or the proposal was going to put 25 mm -hmm. million into it. Mm -hmm. And then at that time, uh, Governor Scott Walker said, you know, well, we're gonna come back with 15. Now, no one, $15 million is still a very generous gift, but the problem is with Eau Claire is we don't have, the bucket here isn't that large. And I think th the struggle that the center has had finding closing its final gap has still been the result mm -hmm. of that change because had that n number been at 25 or even 20 it probably would have saved a lot of people some sleepless nights absolutely you know and but when you think about it when you have a, a an amazing facility like that that opens and then COVID happens um they still are operational they're still you know really doing i think solidly well mm -hmm. and they have a very small percentage of the final amount that needs to be retired in terms of debt i you know i think it's i think it's achievable and you know what this did too was it it opened the door for a, a, a great number of new philanthropists in our community. 
And I think that, and honestly, I mean, I, I, I hope that, you know, that spirit of can do and positivity is translated to the success of the library campaign and to some other uh, fundraising the children's museum mm -hmm. and all yes yeah. all all the way through this is a community that you know before because one of my very closest donors and, and a leader in this campaign said to me do you really think we can raise 10 million or 13 i said yes i do and he said we've never done that before in this community and that's translated into this really uh, strong belief that we as a community can accomplish big dreams so we've t talked a little residential we've talked arts Let's talk some sports. Mm -hmm. And so we've got two other projects here in our time that I need we to touch base on. Um, let's talk about the, 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 the white elephant right now. I shouldn't call it a white elephant, but the, but the big elephant at this point is the Sonnen Takes. Yeah, that's a big elephant. I have to take a lot of beer on that one. I guess so. That's been a fairly long project, and interestingly, um, that came along just as we were in the throes of, of um, the Confluence Project. Um, John and Carolyn Sonnenteig, who are both alumni, met on our campus. Um, it's a wonderful love story, you know, and they're just the most wonderful people you'll ever meet. But we were talking to them about what their options might be for, you know, what they would like to do philanthropically. And I said, would you ever consider donating the land that you have county materials on? And the answer was no. Nah, not interested. And we said, okay. So we kept talking about other things and other projects, and then one day John called and said, are you still interested in the land? Now, one of my philosophies is when opportunity knocks, you can never say nobody's home. You have to be willing to say, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I can't walk away from this. And literally, we were so deep into um, po uh, the Confluence project, and that's, I think, why this project in some ways has taken a little bit longer than we would want it to, is our capacity to be focused on Sonnentag as well as the Confluence Center was, I mean, we're a pretty small staff. Um, and so we we worked through all of that and then we knew that the YMCA wanted to do something and we, and again, I'd like to say also that we're kind of gluttons for collaboration. You know, we really believe if we can work within the community and, and collaborate, they're hard, collaborations are really hard work, but if we can do that, and the university benefits and the community benefits, we would be foolish not to. We, we, we have an obligation, in my opinion, to try to figure out how to help raise everybody up. Well, especially when you bring, like, uh, like male mm -hmm. uh, on board as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but I mean, it, it was uh, a bold call. I mean, you could, um, I'm looking at in terms of when I was at school, Zorn was, was thought to be, it was, it was homey and it, it, it rocked back then in the early 80s when blue gold basketball it's got character it's got character yeah <laughs> well we're in an era where character runs kind of thin so uh it, it was time for it, it to be replaced and uh, i've seen some of the plans and obviously we had dan on the program here not too long ago and he is convinced and i guess the other of us are convinced it will be a game changer for the university on the mm -hmm. athletic side absolutely um you know and the long evolution of this, and, and God bless John and Carolyn, because they've, they, I mean, I think they finally said, look, the way we're going to get this done is we're just going to make the total philanthropy goal happen, and never had that happened in my career either. Well, and, and, and you're, you're kind of, I won't say, don't gloss over that, because, I mean, for a long time, it was announced, things started to move, and then it just paused, just with the Pablo, and then with COVID, and then that announcement of them saying, okay, we're going to take our already overly generous gift, and then we're going to take it to a whole new level, and we're just going to pay for it. 
I, I, I can't imagine, I mean, I, I don't know if you if you do dancing in your <laughs> office or, or what happened, but I mean, what was that phone call like? Well, you know, we... Um, they said they would, and then we actually went down to Florida and had dinner with them, and I took the gift agreement, and when they signed it, I was like, I've got to take a very deep breath. <laughs> I mean, you just, I don't know, those are kinds of the things that fun in your fundraising world, those are what dreams are made of type of thing, and they, they're, they're just so gracious and very generous, and um, they really want to see this happen, and you know, they don't live here, and they they have such a, an affection for their alma mater and they just want to see this happen and you know there it's been a it's been a journey that they've been amazingly patient and we're going to get this done you know we passed the point of no return and we're going to do the groundbreaking on april 25th and watch for a lot of activity happening down on that site. Those big hills are going to be going away. Well, and I think, again, the, the exciting thing on this, and obviously I'm, I'm very familiar with building sports facilities and all of that, at any point in time in the last decade, or even initially, they could have done this thing on the quote-unquote cheap. All right, $5 million, $10 million get you a, a nice little facility. This thing is going to be a palace when it's finished and th that includes obviously the workout facilities and the field house you get one shot at something like this and uh, again i've seen you know photos of what it's going to look like inside this thing is going to be a uh, people are going to walk in there and their jaws are going to hit the floor even if it's only built to 95 percent of what the 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 photos make it look like it's going to be a lot of a lot of toys in there our, our area hasn't seen before and Again, a great deal of credit goes to them and all the other people who have chipped in along the way. Well, in our closing moments here, I still want to give you a chance to talk about another project that's <laughs> coming through in Simpson Field. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's the, the, the chance for those of you who aren't aware, looking at uh, potentially moving the uh, uh, football field. Uh, there's a practice field there in it right now behind um, an upper campus. Uh, just forgetting uh, McPhee, McPhee, Mc mm -hmm. McPhee, and uh, kind of creating an on-field or on-campus field environment for the university, and doing that in phases. And phase one was redoing the the field and uh, putting lighting in. And uh, tell us about that project. Sure. Well, you know, and one of the things that make it really important now is when we're moving our basketball program off campus, Zorn Arena will go away. It'll get torn down. Um, we really don't have a large athletic facility on campus anymore. I mean, we have McPhee Olsen, we're wrestling and, vo and volleyball playing. Those are important. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, we play all of our major sports off campus. And that, unlike most universities, you, we just don't have that. And so we felt, especially with the addition of our men's soccer, um, the lacrosse program, um, and, and, and then our football, and, of course, our world-famous Blue Gold Marching Band that mm -hmm. – we needed to have a facility on campus right next to our residence halls. And so thanks again to great generosity of our alumni because it's 100% privately funded. Um, we've been able to put turf on the field. We're actually just, I just talking about the second phase today. We'll be putting visitor bleachers on the one side of the field and all of the, um, tech, uh, the technology and stuff to have uh, home track meets. You know, our indoor track team just won the national championship. We haven't been able to have a home track meet in over 20 years. More and than that, because I was on the track team and we never had a, tr a home track meet. More than meet. that, so there you go. So we actually have two home track meets scheduled for the fall because of the improvements to Simpson Field. So the natural progression is, and certainly we, we need to do the fundraising for it, but our goal is to 
build the stadium that we would be able to locate our football games on campus that would allow our students to be much more connected to that activity and, and really have a, a signature place on our campus that hopefully, uh, again, I mean, Dan Schumacher, our athletic director, is very ambitious. He's already bidding for basketball tournaments, volleyball, wrestling, football tournaments. Uh, they have a long-range plan that once we get these facilities done, you'll be seeing a lot of uh, state and hopefully national type of activities coming to our community. Now, um, sign and tag opening? Um, it's got to open in time for graduation in 2024. So that's happening. Simpson Field, uh, home, I know, I don't know, hold you to this, I know fundraising is, is, mm -hmm. is always a challenge, but what's, I mean, what's your, your dream of a realistic date? Um, uh, you know, I was hoping 2024, the fall, um, it's probably going to kick out to 2025 fall for football. Just, you know, one of the challenges is it's a very, it's a very challenging construction environment, environment yes. right now with the uh, pricing and everything. And so, a lot of it will depend on what we can do in the next six months. Well, I think one of the key things on all of this is, again, it, it, it's, you know, as we've discussed here, it's about raising funds and all of that. And, and I have a, a great deal of respect uh, for this. You know, having, having been in the sales game, it used to go around and sell $500,000 a year for a, for a hockey team in, in, in Iowa. And I know that every single dollar you get, you, you celebrate with a Frosty at, uh, at Wendy's. What kind of challenges are there? Because it seems right now you guys are on a, as we'd say in gambling, a heater, which is a good thing. There's a momentum going. Uh, you know, what sort of challenges maybe still exist out there to keep the momentum going? Well, certainly having John and Carolyn handle the philanthropy for Sonentag allows us to not have a, an issue of donor fatigue, so to speak, because, you know, um, I mean, frankly, I had a couple of proposals uh, in front of people for Sonentag, and that's an interesting call when you have to call them and say, I don't need your money for this, but I need <laughs> your money for something else. Um, and so we're working through that right now. I think part of it is just um, I haven't been focusing as much on uh, Simpson Field because we really are at a crunch time of getting um, all of the financing and everything put together and a, a myriad of agreements that need to happen in the next few weeks um, on Sonentag. But I think once we get the that process done and construction started will be really focused a lot on Simpson Field. This summer they're doing the parts that will allow us to have the home track meet. Well, Jerry, I know when the chancellor was here, I committed enough to get uh, you know a, a chair named after me at uh, Sonentag. You guys are about that was to a, that was a, cu a cushion, I think. That was uh, the, the cushion <laughs> on the chair. Uh, you're, you're, you're all set to uh, commit to all the bank's uh, dollars towards the full naming rights of Simpson, right? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk about that, yeah. <laughs> I, I just have a proposal in my pocket for him that I'll tend to leave. <laughs> well, just, I know we have to wrap up here. We're getting close on time, but I, just as kind of a historical perspective. So I graduated from Eau Claire in 86. And while I was on campus, al let's see, Allied um, Health had been finished in like 85 or 84, 85. And at that point, then nothing had changed in that university campus till roughly 2000. And then since then, and you know, we talk, there's Centennial Hall, Davies Center, the whole reworking of Garfield Avenue. I, I could, I could just, I mean, it's like you've almost taken um, a, a plow pretty much to the whole campus at one way, shape, or form. And we didn't talk about the science building, which is, mm, big you know, deal. Big, big deal, deal coming up on here and well in, in Putnam and, and... And the Flush Flyman Welcome Center. Too. Yes. Oh, <laughs> I mean, and, and, and we're, we're, we're out of time, but uh, Kim, 
just thank you so much for joining us. It, it, it's been wonderful what you and your group have helped to uh, bring to not only the campus, but to the community. And we look forward to even more good news going forward. Thank you. I just feel very lucky to be able to be a part of these things and to work with such great people and so many generous p people who believe that, you know, working together, we really do accomplish um, all things more than what any one person thought they could do. And we have a wonderful community and we're really lucky to be here. I agree.